Hello and welcome to How to Start Up, a podcast for anyone starting a company. This is a collection of conversations with people who have all successfully started, run and even sold their own companies, sharing not only professional but personal experiences on what we should be doing now, next or never. Hosted by me, Juliet Fallowfield, founder of PR consultancy for startups, Fallowfield and Mason. In this episode, we hear from Tom Mercer, founder of Mama Foods, who started his company in 2005 from a London railway arch with a mission of making oats more awesome. Disappointed by the lack of convenient and healthy breakfast choices for his morning commute, he decided to solve this gap in the market and today is one of the fastest growing young food brands in the UK, as Mama now produces a range of 21 premium products and is stocked in the UK's leading supermarkets. Tom shares with us his advice on knowing when is the right time to leave full-time employment to commit to your startup and some great tips for securing shelf space in UK retail. Hi Tom, thanks so much for your time today. It would be great if we could start with a brief introduction as to who you are and a bit about your company. Hi Juliet, my name's Tom. I'm the founder of Mama, which is an oat-based breakfast business. Amazing. When did you start Mama? We launched the business 16 years ago and then it'll be 16 years in February that we launched our first stall in Waterloo Station selling breakfast to commuters on the way to work. Why did you start it? So I was um, I was a management consultant in London, kind of straight out of uni, started working in the city. We'd been doing that for three years, but always really wanted to do my own business. Always thought I would do my own business and kind of had that entrepreneurial itch inside me. And I thought there was a gap in the breakfast market. Back then, particularly, there was nothing on the market for a kind of a quick, healthy, on-the-go breakfast. There were croissants and muffins from coffee shops, but that was it. So it was all about creating a healthy, filling, on-the-go breakfast. And do you feel that always having that need to be an entrepreneur drove you forward or do you think people can do it without that initial spark? Yeah, I think people can do it without an initial spark. I think what drives people to do it can be different. So some people just really want to be an entrepreneur and set a business up. And that was probably me. And then I thought about kind of what the right idea would be. So I didn't really have a eureka moment of a particular idea you know whereas you've got other people who are experts in a certain field who have a really good idea and I don't know their only way to get it to market is to do it themselves so there's entrepreneurs in different sense and with you when you were working for somebody else were you constantly thinking about you know strategy and planning and putting a budget in place or did you sort of quit and then the next day turn the lights on somewhere else no, it's probably the former. I'm probably one of the people that did always think that I wanted to be an entrepreneur and run my own business. The job that I went into initially was brilliant, but it was always as a stepping stone to then being able to go on and do my own thing. So definitely approached it kind of that way around, I'd say. Yeah. Is there anything that you had learned from your previous roles that you've brought to your own business? Management consultancy was brilliant and I learned lots of stuff and met some great people. The skill that I kind of use mostly is, sadly, is Excel spreadsheets. Um, I use them all the time, every day. I'd like to, I pride myself on my Excel spreadsheets. Are they in Google Docs or are they OneDrive? Like there's a huge argument in my co-working space about the best platforms to use. And I'm a massive Google Drive fan. Are yours Google Docs or something else? Oh, we're, we're a bit old school. So we're just regular kind of Microsoft Windows and just share those out and share them on the uh, the shared drive at work. So we're probably behind the curve on some stuff like that. But worry about all the different communication platforms and everything that's out there and just kind of overcomplicating things. But we are basically with phone calls, WhatsApp and email. And that's it basically for us. Are there processes that you'd really recommend that new founders bring into companies from the get-go? 
I think the process, in terms of the software, not specifically, but in terms of processes that people can do is um, the boring stuff about structure and um, structure within the business, the right people in the right roles, weekly meetings, kind of structured quarterly meetings, that sort of stuff to give you, just give the team the discipline and the right kind of uh, frequency of talking to each other. Um, getting the right balance there is really important and it's it's not something that comes naturally to me it's not something I massively enjoy um, but it's really important to get that into the business and that's a really good point in terms of teams especially working remotely and I'm sure given that your company's well up and running hitting a pandemic would not have been a great period for you guys but how did you manage that remote working in terms of keeping your teams engaged we switched from having in-person morning catch-up to having a daily Zoom meeting, which sometimes on a Monday morning is kind of what our priorities are for the week by person. So it's a bit more formal, but on other days, it can literally be a five-minute chat about somebody's dog or something like that, or what party someone's going to. So it's, it's having that kind of five, 10 minutes in the morning, just seeing people over Zoom is really good, actually, and has kind of kept people quite well connected. So it's definitely not the same as in person, but having that having Zoom and being able to see people face to face, I think was a real lifeline. Yeah. So going back to when you started Mama, what was the first thing you did when you started your business? Yeah. So I had the idea, I sent some surveys out to friends, kind of asking them what their breakfast eating habits were, what was important to them at breakfast. That was a kind of a survey monkey out to about 200 different people. Got the results back that kind of healthy filling, quick and convenient breakfast was the most important thing. So that was my, that was my rationale for kind of going out there and doing a business. I then did a, a couple of trials in Waterloo of kind of with selling physical product. So I went down to New Covent Garden Market, bought some fruits, got some yogurt from the supermarkets, got some oats, got some old water bottles, took the labels off and then print stick labels on at work and then had my kind of smoothie water bottles and then spent all night blending oat smoothies in my kitchen in Waterloo and, uh, and making these oat-based smoothie products. And then I went out onto the street in Waterloo and gave the products out, took people's business card and then went back into the office a bit late that morning, went into the office, emailed them a survey and said, you know, what do they think of the product? That was my research really. So it was quite basic, but at least it was kind of getting product in front of people, kind of testing that the theory that there was a real gap for a healthy filling on the go breakfast. Um, and from there on in, what was your next step? The feedback I got from that was overall was good, but we kind of did have a couple of people saying, you know, thank you for the breakfast, but I didn't trust the dodgy bloke under the bridge in Waterloo. Another person said it was so filling it made them sick, which was kind of a backhanded compliment. You know, kind of we wanted a filling breakfast, but we didn't want to make people sick. But it gave me the impetus to leave my job. You know, I always wanted to and I was really looking for just that justification and that kind of, you know, to tick the box that I'd done a bit of research on it. But it was objective justifiable bona fide research as well. I then left my job at Bain, which is a consultancy firm, and then spent the next three months looking for a site to physically put a stall. So I wanted somewhere that had sufficient footfall. And I reckon I need 10,000 people walking past in the morning to be able to get 200 people to buy my products to spend two pounds each, which would give me 400 pounds revenue on a stall. So I'm looking for a location that has sufficient footfall, um, sufficient space around the stall that it wasn't going to be too congested and I could physically get uh, a breakfast stall to in the morning. And then eventually would find a location that I thought was good and then I'd put a pitch into whoever owned the land. And so it'd be that London Underground, one of the overground train operators and like network rail, and then put a pitch into them saying, look, 
I want to set up a breakfast stall selling healthy breakfast. It's going to be great for your commuters. We don't require any water or electric. We're just going to have a little stall that we're going to wheel into place in the mornings. And we finally got the go-ahead from Southern Trains. And we had a stall on the bridge between Waterloo and Waterloo East. And that was a filing cabinet on wheels. We're branding on the outside. And we made all our products by hand in a railway arch in Deptford and then drove the stall to the station and then sold the breakfasts. So that was 24th of February, 2006. So yeah, that was, that's a really condensed bit of kind of the startup story and how we got from, yeah, being a consultant to launching that first stall. That's incredible because now, you know, you're very well established on social. You've got a huge product range. Like how many products do you now have? Main products are, so we started off with Birch Muesli. From when we did the stalls, we kind of, uh, the product that really took off was a chilled Birch Muesli. So yogurt, oats and fruit. Uh, so that is one of our key products in our range. Um, we then kind of pivoted slightly and with more of a focus on a pro- porridge, like an instant porridge offering in pots and sachets. So we focused on gluten-free. We really focused on the quality of the porridge, having the right blend of jumbo oats and a finer oat that make, gives it a quick cook time and more creaminess. So that's the, kind of the second element. So we got Birch muesli porridge and we launched some granola as well it's a relatively small line for us but granola and then more recently oat milk and that's going really well for us actually and it will be the majority of our business sales wise this year you as a founder have many many different hats to juggle how do you manage that weight of responsibility between product development retail people management accounts all of that stuff it's really hard particularly in the beginning as soon as you start getting people on board in the business that are good and better than you at specific roles, then it really helps to be able to kind of then delegate and divide up the different roles within the business. I noticed that you are in Tesco, Ocado, Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Morrison's, Co-op, Foods, Holland Barrett, EasyJet, Whole Foods and JD Weatherspoons at the moment. That is huge. Do you have any advice for people who want to get into retail? When people set up a business, the very first thing is to make sure they've got the product right. And it's not like in the tech space where people talk about a minimal viable product and you can launch stuff and then do iterations on it and so on. I think when you're launching in my field, like a food product and it going onto shelves with consumers, you can iterate on it and make it better but you really want to launch with as good a product as you can because you might not get a second opportunity with it so my advice to people would be to get that product right to start with and then be really objective about what the sustainability of that product is going to be on the marketplace you know is it a good product will people buy it will enough people buy it and will you make enough money out of it to be able to invest in marketing and team and all that all of those sort of things so getting that objectivity i think is really key A lot of entrepreneurs will have the passion, have kind of a prerequisite to setting something up and having that drive and determination to do it. But having that objectivity on whether the product is a good product or sufficiently good is is sometimes tricky. That's kind of a precursor to your question about how to get products on shelf. I think if you've got a product that ticks those boxes, so it's a product that people like and it stacks up commercially for you and for the person selling it. So, you know, if you're selling it into a shop for that shop, but then selling it onto the consumer. You know, you will get it in there ultimately. You know, if it stacks up commercially and it's a good product, you will get it in there. And the UK is quite good at that. I think it's quite a fair sector, although it's quite tough and competitive, it's quite fair. So then it comes down to how you just get the attention of the buyer that you're trying to sell to. How important do you think sustainability and inclusivity is when you're pitching to buyers? Because I noticed that you're supporting British farming where possible. You're talking about oats for all in the sense that you don't want anyone with any allergy or intolerance to be left out of the product. How important do you think that messaging is when you're pitching to retailers? 
Yeah, I think it's important. I think it's a key pillar of business now is to kind of talk about that sustainability piece and inclusiveness piece. And it should just be an ongoing part of business, really. I think it's important, though, to on the other side of the coin to make sure you talk about stuff genuinely, you know, kind of and sustainability for MoMA is important. But I wouldn't say it's our raison d'etre, you know, it wasn't why we set up the business. So and it would be a bit disingenuous of us to say that. And I do think there's quite a lot of overkill on the market at the moment about kind of people talking about that and linking everything back to sustainability. It's it's a it's really important and it's key. It should be kind of a what we call a hygiene factor. You know, it should be there. It should be kind of a standard part of doing business. If it's really an integral part of your brand, then shout about it. Given that you're 16 years in, how do you keep invigorated? How do you stay inspired? What still motivates you? Life changes, like personal life changes. You know, I'm, since I started as a single man living in a flat share in Waterloo, you know, I'm now married with two kids and living up in Northamptonshire. It's, it's, it's different from that point of view. So, I mean, that keeps me inspired in terms of kind of life is changing and life is great outside of work. What keeps me inspired within work is the innovation I love. Uh, I love the innovation and coming up with new things and kind of coming up with stuff that genuinely works on the marketplace. But the thing that gives me the most buzz is feedback from consumers, actually. So, for example, we've not had a, a trade show for kind of two years with coronavirus, but then we've had three trade shows in the last two weeks. It's really the consumers and like the small coffee shop owners who are genuinely really passionate about their product and passionate about their coffee. And they love our oat milk, for example. And, you know, you share that passion with people and that gives you a real buzz. It makes you kind of realize what it's all about. And that belief in the product and excitement is is hard to replicate. And being at that trade show a couple of weeks ago, yeah, really put a spring in my step and actually kind of made me realize making people happy and believing in your product is is really rewarding. And if you had your time again, is there anything you go back and not do again? It comes back to what I was talking about, objectivity and getting that balance between passion and objectivity. And I would be more objective about what works and what doesn't work and what's a good product and what's, you know, maybe it's a great product, but it's just a little bit more niche. You know, you might have something that you think is brilliant, but you have to be really clear about whether everybody else thinks it's brilliant to kind of make a sustainable business. So, you know, we've had products in our range like our birch muesli, fantastic product, but it's just a little bit more niche on the marketplace than I wanted it to be. And it took me too long to realize that really, because I was so absorbed in it. And I loved it so much myself that, you know, I didn't take the time to stand back and go, oh, actually, you know, maybe we're not selling as much because it's just not the right fit in that particular environment for people. So I think, I think that's really key, actually, kind of, you know, taking that step back. And it's really hard, though, you know, when you're really passionate about something to, to step back and look at it objectively as well. Is there any last golden nugget piece of advice that you'd like to offer a new founder in starting a company? The, the passion and objectivity thing, the balance of that is just the key thing for me. And it always has been, you know, getting that balance right is really, really important. There's loads of other things that are important, like, you know, getting the right team on board, deciding how quick you want to grow and kind of what cash you need to get on board, you know, structuring the business model correctly. But getting that objective, rational viewpoint and blending that in with that passion and belief about what you're doing is a really tricky balancing act. But if you can get that right, then it will, will be a success. Thank you so much Tom I really appreciated your time and all of your wonderful advice thank you very much very nice to chat to you if you'd like to contact Tom you'll find all of his details along with a recap of all the advice he has so kindly shared in the show notes thank you for listening to how to start up 
I hope these conversations offer you some confidence, encouragement and reassurance that you're on the right track. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd be so appreciative if you were to rate, review and subscribe as it will really help other people starting a company discover it.